Oh, hello. And welcome to Property Prompt. The game show slash podcast that shines a spotlight on new and existing writers via the medium of chatting, creative prompts, coffee and chaos with me, Letty Butler. And me, Stephen Meller. Or Dave, as we like to call him on this show. Here on Property Prompt, we don't just talk about a writer's life, the highs and lows and all the bits in between. We don't just promote our guests and their work and unearth their top writing tips. But we challenge them to write live in response to a series of creative prompts. Oh, what's a prompt, Dave? A prompt can be anything from a word, sentence, a picture, anything that gets the creative juices flowing. So the first challenge is a pre-prepared prompt. Guests get one week to write a 200-word piece, which they will share on the show. Round two is a completely unseen prompt, which they'll hear for the very first time live on the show. We give them three minutes to craft a response. And last but not least comes the grand finale. Exactly the same as round two, but with only one minute to come up with the goods. Sounds fun? That's because it is. You can play along at home and we'll tell you where and when and how during the show. Or perhaps you're just listening in for the sheer entertainment. This is also fine. This week, our guests are novelist, sonnet bomber, playwright and poet, Joanna Hastings, and novelist, copywriter, content producer and creator of the world's most useful writer's newsletter, Ian Broom. It's a dazzler of a show, featuring death to ducks, endangered canaries, dubious freezer contents, dementia... And a very downbeat Dave. I'm not downbeat, I'm downtrodden. Like me? Yes. But best be aware, everybody, there may be some fruity language in the show. Come, what? Not quite what I meant. (laughs) Do you want to go first? I think we started. Have we started? Welcome to Property Prompt, everyone. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I am delighted to be back here. We've got the lovely Joanna Hastings. We have, indeed. Hello. Novelist, sonnet bomber, playwright and poet, and also performer. You've done so much. Now I feel put on the spot. Oh, you don't have to say anything. That was just an introduction. Okay. And we also have Sheffield's infamous Ian Broom. Hello. Hello, Ian. You know infamous is not a good thing, don't you? Yes, <laughs> I do. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Fine. Yeah, that's hi. <laughs> uh, who is a novelist, copywriter, content producer, creator of the world's most useful writing-based newsletter, and also manages to be the dad of four children at the same time which is pretty impressive. And still has all his hair. Oh, yes. Which is you know, beyond me for a start. Dave. I, that's the bit I don't get. I really don't get. All the rest of it, I understand it. Still having his hair and four children. Well, you can, you can discuss nutritional secrets at, at the end. I want to know his shampoo. Good. Well, welcome. It's absolutely lovely to see you here today. Okay, well, I'm going to start on the novel. So I went away to Arvon this week to grapple with the sixth draft of my own novel. And I tried to stay off offline, but I spent my limited free time reading Ian's book, A is for Angelica. And I also got wind of the fact that, Joanna, you finished the first draft of your novel, Isla. I did, yes. So, first of all, massive high five to both of you for actually writing a novel and getting to the end of that process. First of all, let's just hear a little bit about both of those. So, Ian, could you tell us a bit about A is for Angelica? Um, I can. So, I, from a, a writing point of view, I wrote it quite a long time ago now. So, one of the things you said in the intro was that I do these things at the same time. That's not true. It turns out you can't write a book and uh, have four kids at the same time. So, oh. my writing process <laughs> has slowed up somewhat. So, the book came out in 2012. And it's about a man whose wife is seriously ill. You don't necessarily know that at the start. And he doesn't tell anyone about it. So he keeps it a secret, which is obviously a very bad idea. He thinks that he can look after her himself because he's been through the process before. So the whole thing is kind of set in his house or on the street. um, Crescenton Vale. Crescenton Vale. And at the same time, he he is constantly making notes on his neighbour's behaviour, one of which is Angelica, who moves in at the start of the book. There was a, there was a review which uh, on on Amazon. Not that I've read every one and memorised them. Oh no! Um, but, it, but it was absolutely perfect, and it wasn't a good review. But all it said was, "This is basically a book about someone waiting to open a door." <laughs> so, yeah, that's pretty accurate. It's quite a good good blurb. I think that um, sounds very enigmatic and and sort of I know, exciting. Huge amount of suspense in that. Exactly. So therefore, I should probably use it if it ever gets reprinted. Um, but that's that's the general premise. Well, I have to say I loved it and it took me away from my own novel, um, but only for two days because 
I had to read it that quickly because it was so compelling. Thank you. I devoured it That's like very a chocolate say. log. <laughs> that sounded strange. Anyway, yeah, it was. It was so. Congratulations. Thank you, Joanna. Yes. Tell us a bit about Isla, please. Um, well, it's a I suppose in a way it's a story about someone who's waiting to put on a coat. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's a it's a search for identity story based in the the folktale of the Selkies, and set in Scotland, mostly so part, partly in Oxford too. And it's about a child essentially who is doesn't know who she is, has been brought up without being told what her heritage is, which is her mother was the daughter of a Selkie. Just for uh, the listeners that yeah. might not know, right? can you explain what a Selkie is? <gasps> of course. Yes, a Selkie is a, a Scottish sort of mythical creature, a, a seal who can become a human by taking off the seal skin. And quite often what happened was the seal skin would come off and somebody would find it and appropriate it. And then the Selkie would be in the power of that person until they managed to retrieve their skin. Wow. And so this child doesn't even know she has a skin. She doesn't know who she is. And so it's an exploration of her coming to find out who she is against the backdrop of her parents' rather dysfunctional <laughs> marriage because there's, you know, a stolen skin involved. The thing that I've been thinking about both of these books and the thing that I think they both have in common, even though, you know, on the surface they couldn't be more different, is that really they've both got such a sense of place. So in A is for Angelica, you've got this kind of coal mining town that's been torn out by this huge open pit in the middle. And it's it's it doesn't ever specify exactly which town. It's a kind of a, a generic northern town industry yeah. coal industry yeah based and then you've got that kind of claustrophobia of it being set all in this very suburban crescenton vale and then on the flip side you've got the amazing scottish highlands and it's so entwined with that world and the folklore element and and the landscape and i just wondered if i'm, I'm going to ask both of you this you if setting came very early on in your writing process uh, i think it was probably by accident, but but it, it was certainly very claustrophobic first. I think because of the narrator. So the narrator is first person. So it's quite immediate. So you feel, so there's that sense of you are there with that person in the moment. Mm. And I, so when I wrote the first 10,000, I did it as part of the MA, so MA writer course in Sheffield. And I wrote the first 10,000 words without really knowing what would become of it. I was possibly even writing short stories at the time. So I wasn't really supposed to be writing a novel. It was just a short story that got out of hand. So this, but but that made the setting quite focused, and I really wanted to impress my uh, tutors at the time. So I, I finished with a big cliffhanger, which was something about his, like at the end of the first of uh, the ten thousand words, like you revealed that he had a wife upstairs. Because before that, it was all about him like looking through his window and like writing notes on his neighbours and just this kind of weird character. So that sense of this person being in this house and that's and looking out on the street was it was more of a character led decision i think or just yeah. i was i was just kind of like free writing almost and it was only when i kind of brought the his his wife into it and this idea of him looking after her you know she's bedbound that i kind of realized well they can't go anywhere this is where the novel is unless something you know drastic happens this is where the novel is going to be set and so i think i then started building more of a a world around it then and added bits like there's a scene in the church. There is talk of the hospital, even though you never go there. He and goes. He walks to a garage at some point. I think Alan yes, Partridge he does. style. Yes, he does. Um, directly influenced by my love of Alan Partridge, that scene. Um, uh, <laughs> so you do get to escape the street a little bit, uh, which I think I think you kind of need to. But that world building around it came after. And I, I do just want to say to, to listeners who are going to read this book and yes you are going to read it um it is extremely funny like the premise sounds very dark and, and it is you know it is but it is an extremely funny book um and is that something that you were conscious of doing to kind of balance out the the dark context or um i i kind of ended up going back the opposite way so i at first i had lots more jokes in there and kind of silly jokes there are still lots of silly jokes in i kind of you know I would now I'm now I'm forty. I would say bordering on pure R, which is fine. It's, you know that, they were different times, um, but I actually had much more of that. It was supposed to be much more of like a dark comedy, 
but the more I did, the more I researched her illness, and the more I wrote about that, I decided this needs to come back the other way a bit. It was you can't, you know, this is a very serious subject. I was, you know, I was speaking to um, kind of speech therapists and various other people to make sure that, like, kind of the uh, that, that the whole situation was plausible. The yeah. idea that, uh, that a man or yeah, a husband could look after like how long would she i'm sorry this is a bit grim but how long would she be able to not have medical attention yeah that kind of thing and when you start doing that kind of research you do kind of wind in the jokes a little bit okay we went we veered off there that was my fault but jo- joanna a setting setting yes well it, it sort of it was there right at the beginning partly because this character trying to get into the 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 body of somebody who is not really quite human, partly because they're sort of mythological and partly because they're an animal without really knowing. And what does that do to your perceptions of your surroundings? So the sense of smell became extremely important. Yeah, And she smells things much more vividly than the people around her. But she doesn't realize that she's experiencing anything differently from them. And also her, her, her sort of sensitivity to the supernatural is heightened because she is supernatural without knowing it. So she she smells her way through the landscape as well as seeing and hearing and touching, you know, all, all the other senses. And that really brought the, the sea and the, the sea loch that she lives beside into into extreme focus mm. because the smell of it permeates everything. And so the landscape became became a, a pull for her, a sort of lure pulling her towards this thing that she didn't understand right from the beginning. It's almost like a character in itself, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's, it, and it became more and more that as, as the plot developed as well. Have you, did you go to the setting? Yeah, well, I, I mean, I've, I've been there many times when I was a child that the place itself has sort of haunted me ever since I, we, we used to go there every year, my family and camp and stay close to stay on the land of a woman who was a friend of my father. And so it was very compelling to me when I was a child. And then about four years ago, I went back for a while. And then while I was writing the first draft, I went back again and sort of reacquainted myself with the geography of it and the smells. <laughs> um, so that, yeah, I mean, I'd say that the landscape was there and important right from the first word, really. Another thing that, that links you two, um, this is veering again wildly in the new direction, but um, I wanted to talk today a bit about competitions writing competitions, what do we think of them? Are they helpful? Have you ever entered any, etc.? But in Sheffield, we have the Novel Slam mm. every year. And Ian is one of the judges and also the very excellent host. I'm only the host. I've never... I've never oh, you've never judged? I've never been allowed to judge. Never, I've never I'm, been allowed to. I've never been in a position to judge anyone. I'm just the person at the front who says, give him a clap, that kind of thing. Yeah, <laughs> and it's you do it extremely well. <laughs> Thank you. Um... But this year, well, it was tw- last year, mm-hmm. Joanna, you entered yes. the Novel Slam and you came second. I did, yes. With was, an extract of Isla. With a, an extract of a very early stage of Isla, yeah. Yeah, that was quite a surprise, actually. wasn't to me. <laughs> <laughs> Apart from, you know, very it, sweet. I, I, I did think you would win. And what, what impact did it have on you? Well, a couple of things. I mean, one, just the experience itself. I was very nervous because though, you know, people like you, darling, had, had taken a look at some of the stuff that I'd written already and had been very positive about it, which was great. This was people I didn't know. Yeah. yeah. And so that has a different kind of impact. It made me feel as if it was worth it, that I wasn't just doing a little vanity project and that it it was... So it was motivating from that perspective. And uh, and it also like the camaraderie there. It just it felt so good. So being new to Sheffield, feeling like I I was in this community of writers that were willing to be generous with each other and gracious to each other. That was I mean it was instrumental in making me feel at home. I don't know whether that 
factors into this, but just, you know, that was one of the effects that it had on me. So it was, it was just a, a sort of hook for me. It was like I'd reached this point. And it's a point I think that a lot of people think, oh God, can I, can I really, like the end is yeah. so far away. There's yeah. this mountain to climb before I can actually get there. Is it worth it? Can I do it? Am I up to it? And does anyone even care? And it made me feel as if, yes, people do care. And the mountain was still there, but it was worth giving it a shot. So it, it was helpful. It was very helpful, um, confidently, mm. I think. Um, Ian? Yes. Talk to us about draft mode. Okay. That is my newsletter. Right. So many years ago, uh, newsletters are all the rage now. I don't know if you not, not necessarily might not know that because you might not be on the internet as much as I am, which is probably for the best. But like <laughs> n- newsletters have become a, like a big thing over the last few years, even though they're, they're the oldest thing in the world. It's really interesting how old technologies turn out to be quite good, like email. So the idea of a newsletter is is something that is becoming more and more common i'm seeing people do in the fiction world do really interesting things with it i'm i just subscribed to someone whose name i can't remember but they um are they've decided to serialize their entire novel in a newsletter and they're using substack as a platform which allows you to uh, take subscriptions so they're effectively just shunning the entire uh, traditional publishing world kind of shunning the, the if you can if there is such a thing a traditional self-publishing world and serializing the entire it's thing through a newsletter straight to the reader so you sign up pay however much uh that you want to charge uh, monthly or annually and then you'll get a say a chapter every week which is really interesting wow yes. so there are people doing really interesting things with newsletters i've had ideas for them i just haven't quite got into it but the idea of doing like seasons with newsletters but ultimately like obviously a newsletter is just an email you just sign up to something you get an email i've been sending one for about 10 years so i I set this up when i was trying to flog as for angelica years ago trying to build my audience all that kind of thing and i've always used it from um for writers really which might be a mistake i should have probably been trying to get readers instead of writers but i've always i've always been interested in like helping other writers and being part of a community in that way um so draft mode is my newsletter it goes out to about a thousand people every week i am one of those people (laughs) two of those people and uh, it's going to be a thousand and one since we leave here i just get them all one by one that's Mm -hmm. what i do um but it's every every week i just share like five or six links to things that i find useful i think other people find useful so it could be writing advice it could be a writing app or a tool or, or you know a video or something like that and um and yeah, and it kind of, it's, it's kept me, it's, as I've been focusing on having children and dealing with the pandemic and various other things, instead of doing, you know, lots of writing, having, you know, having a proper job, um, the newsletter has been my way of just keeping my toes in the publishing world. And yeah. uh, it's been really, really useful for that. And how do listeners uh, sign up? But you can go to ianbroom.com. That's my website slash draft hyphen mode. That's not very, not very clean, is it? Not very clean. It'll be in the post, in the post-it post it notes? No. The show the, notes, the, the show notes. notes. It'll be in the show notes. Yes. Yeah. That'd be great. Come join. Yeah. You're toying with the idea of doing your own podcast kind of on the theme of draft mode. Is that right? Or have I made that up? No, you've, you've not made it up. I have kind of grand plans for it. So I've, I've moved the newsletter so you can, people use MailChimp and Substack and lots of different things. Uh, but it's always kind of an, a, a separate service. I've recently moved the newsletter onto my own website again using a platform called Ghost, which is expensive but very, very good. And that means that everything is on my website and I can easily turn my website into a membership thing. So a bit like what I've just described, but um, put a paywall, for want of a better word, on any page. So I could uh, put fiction on there or I could put like some brilliant writing advice or a course or whatever it might be. The reason I think that doing a membership scheme is something that's worth considering for me Yes, there'll be like quite a big time commitment, but there isn't very much money in traditional publishing. There okay. isn't an awful lot of money in self-publishing unless you get lucky or you have all the time in the world to market your work. So I, I think that there is a potential if you do manage to get an audience, even like a thousand people, which is quite it's it's, it's good, it's a good but number. it's not huge. But even even with an audience of some kind, if you can get people to who are interested in your writing or just love your writing advice, whatever it is that you want to provide then if people are willing to pay a subscription to you, much like you would to Netflix or much like you would to... Um, Virgin Active. Virgin Active, exactly. <laughs> or even an app. So I pay subscriptions yeah, for, yeah. for apps and stuff like that. We don't have any qualms about paying those kinds of things. But actually, 
if you want to support your favorite writer, you could you can quite easily do that. People use Patreon and and various other things. But you could also like I might do do it all on your own site too. And just the idea of having like like revenue as a writer, it seems inexplicable that yeah. you don't have to write something, hope you get an agent, hope you get published, and then hope you get an advance. My experience, I'm not complaining, is that advances are extremely small. And if you have mortgages and families and all that kind of thing, as most people do, it's it's not a career like writing. Um, I'm sorry to say this is not very positive news for your listeners, but it's not really a career. It's kind of a sexy hobby unless you get lucky. Um, and even if you do quite well, the advances are still below minimum wage. Or, yeah, or it's really, it's really naughty, isn't it? Maybe we should start some sort of riot. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's riot now. <laughs> but the writing point. riot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Take that to the uh, the doors of number ten. Do you feel that it always seems to come across when I talk to people like yourself and that that writing itself or the the act of, of a novelist, etc., is a is a thoroughly underrated an undervalued position in life. And is that how everybody feels? Well, you're yeah. not in it for the money, are you? you can't well, be, that's the think. problem, is that people should be in it for the money to to some degree. I think that the part of the problem is that we're, we're all in love with it. And because we're in love with it, we're driven to do it. And because we're driven to do it, it we become the last person to get paid on the on the sort of structure of the industry. Mm-hmm. And so money comes in and the publishers and costs and agents and marketing and all the things come out first. And the writer is kind of left with this sliver a little peanut. at the end, whereas none of it would actually be happening without the writer. And the amount of time that the writer has put into it is enormous. Like it's unquantifiable, the amount of time you put into something like this. Yeah. And the problem is that we would all do it anyway. Absolutely. And so the priority isn't to pay the writer because the writer would do it anyway. And it's it's like, you know, any kind of art. People think, oh, well. It's their choice. They want to do it. It's their choice, yeah. right. Whereas, in fact, society would crumble without it. Yeah. Without, I mean, art in general. I'm not just talking about writing here. Just before we move on to the first prompt, which we are going to we are going to do very soon, I just want to understand what sonnet bombing is, Joanna. <laughs> and are you going to become the sonnet bomber of Sheffield? Well, you've kind of outed me already, so I don't. Oh yeah, I, I can't. Um, oh, sorry. That's okay. We can cut that, Peter. We can cut that. No. <laughs> it's okay. Shall, shall I come in there? I wonder who the sonnet bomber bomber of Sheffield. I can't even say it. The sonnet bomber of Sheffield you could over be. What's up with you today? I don't know what's up with me today. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, I'm just sat here listening. I'm enjoying sitting here listening. It's, it's, you know, I've been making notes as we go along. I've got tons of questions. What do they just, say? I don't know because I haven't got my reading glasses on, so I can't remember I'm handwriting. But, you know, it, it, I, yeah, I would like to know more about sonnet bombing. Okay. Well, this was in Ann Arbor, which was in the States, in Michigan. And the, just for a tiny bit of context, what had happened was I had I used to be the – principal, the head of school of a small school in Ann Arbor. And it came to a point that I realized that much as I'd loved it, it was time for me to stop. But I didn't really have a plan. So I just sort of stopped. I, I stepped off a cliff. And then I sat and stared at a wall while while I recovered a little bit from the absolutely grueling experience that 10 years of head of school had been. And as I sat, I thought, well, what do I want to do? I want to write. But I didn't know what form that was going to take. So I started off with this little sort of gentle project where every day I would write a sonnet or two that was inspired by one of the independent businesses in the town that I lived in. And I would print it out on pretty paper and slip it into a waterproof film and get up at four o'clock in the morning and drive into the city centre, town centre. calls itself a city, but it's really not. And, um, and pin it to the door of whatever business it was dedicated to anonymously. So I would sign off as sonnet the bomber. sonnet bomber. 
And then I had a Twitter account for Sonic Bomber and I had a Facebook account and I would just put it up saying, oh, this business or that business has been bombed in the middle of the night. <laughs> and Sonic bombed. And then I would you know, put a transcript of the poem up so that people who couldn't get there could see what I was doing. But it was an anonymous Twitter account, an anonymous Facebook page. And it was just the, the most fun. You've got to do it. So lots of, you know, I would walk around town and people put these things up in their windows or on their notice boards in their businesses. One of, I mean, there was several of them did this, but one in particular kept that sonnet up years, years. I don't know how many Well, we've years. got lots of lovely indie businesses here, haven't we? Yeah. No, I, I mean, it is something that, that I have definitely bombing. been considering. I know that Sheffield is full of these lovely independent businesses. I don't know them because yeah. I haven't been here long enough to find out. So I still need to, there's time for anyone who's listening to this to forget that they heard this conversation yes. because yeah. I still need to find out who these people are and who's, what they're all who's about. deserving of a bomb. And not just deserving, but also what it is about them that I can write a sonnet about <laughs> because, yeah. you know, after you've written, I wrote nearly a hundred sonnets for Ann Arbor. And after you got to, you know, sonnet number 92, you started feeling like, have I written this before? Yeah. This is maybe the third bookshop that I've written for. Is is it different enough? So I, I do want to find out what makes each one unique yeah. and really try to highlight that. Such a great can, idea. Can, can I ask, because I'm very curious in peop about people who, if you like, have the experience of a different, not just a different city, but a different uh, nation, mm. and then Sheffield. I'm a Sheffield lad, so it's kind of like, you know, it's been my home for far too long in that sort of sense. So you having come from you know, like being a writer in Michigan to a writer here in Sheffield, mm. are the audiences different? Is the attitude to writers different? Is, it, is there anything different or is it just we're the same the world over? I mean, there are similarities, I think, and there are differences. When I was in the States, and I, I did, first of all, The Sonnet Bomber, and then, well, I was a playwright there too. But I never found a community. And that sort of truism that that people bring out to say that writing is a very solitary mm -hmm. pastime, I I felt it there. I felt that it was solitary. And here I don't. Here one of the things that has really made it work for me is that I feel like I have a, a writing community. I have support. I have people I can turn to. I have, again, as I was saying for the novel slam, this sort of gracious and generous attitude from, from other people around me. And even though I haven't been able to get out and meet people face-to-face -face very much, I have met them on Twitter, on Zoom, through your group, Letty, things like that. And it, it has become essential to my process. So that, that's the thing that stands out to me, is that this feels, even though it's a much larger city than the one that I was living in in America, it feels more companionable. Yeah, I, I would massively, I think the Sheffield writing community, I mean, you, you've probably been aware of it and within it for the longest, Ian. But do you have any anything to compare it to? No, not really. But only because I've only lived in Sheffield as an adult, so 20 odd years now, just over 20 years. But it's always been a supportive place for writers, I think. I've been in and out of it, as discussed. I've spent <laughs> some years away having children and doing that kind cupboard. of thing. Indeed. But we used to run a, a spoken word night called uh, Words Aloud. We did it for two years. We kind of office style went out on top, I think, while we were still packing rooms. <laughs> um, but that one of the interesting things about uh, Words Aloud, so there were there were various uh, spoken word nights in the city anyway, um, and they as far I went to a few, and they were all friendly. Like there, there, there were no there was no animosity in it or anything like that. Yeah. No no competition. But one of the things that we did was um, have a conversation before we did our very first event, and we said every single person who reads, no matter how good they are. We just went mad for every single person that came on the, the stage. And I, I hope so that nice. I've carried some of that as the host over to the to the Novel Slam. But we had, I know, my, my friend Nikki, um, who, she's a great writer, but she's she um, she's not a, she's not trying to pursue a career in writing fiction or anything like that. She, uh, and 
two or three of the others were the same. Like we, they just sort of dabbled and they, they haven't continued like their writing career in the way that I attempted to, which I think really helped because they were, just, they were, they were all about the community. And at that point, this is a long time ago, I just finished the MA. I was very much, you know, I felt like I still, a little part of me had to wear a top hat and, you know, and, and, and like, you know, we're proper writers, feather boa, that kind of thing. So that first time when we were whooping and, and hollering and, uh, um, and, you know, we had our three minute limit and all this kind of thing. There's a part of me thinking, oh, this doesn't feel right. But there's another part of me thinking this is exactly how a spoken word night should be. It should be fun. People should feel like they can uh, read. They should, I know that sounds yeah. like a very basic thing, but they should sit in the audience and go, I'm going to do this next week or next month. And that's kind of what happened. And it's been the case, I think, in everything that sort of followed from that sort of period, that was 2006, 2008. I'm not saying this is as, as a result of us. But there's definitely that sense of, of like camaraderie and um, and welcomeness to writing groups um, and uh, writing events and that kind of thing. It's, yeah. it's always been my experience. Me too. Um, I think. Yeah. So if you're a writer and you're lonely wherever you are listening to this, move to Sheffield is my main piece <laughs> of advice. It would appear that that's what we're saying. <laughs> yeah. Yes, indeed. Okay. Well, um, I think it's probably a time for a bit of a prompt. So... Today's prompts have all come from, I, I decided to go online today because we were having Ian in and um, I thought, well, he, he likes all things digital. So uh, it's an online website called www.writingprompts.com. But I got these ones from their Twitter account, which is at writingprompt underscore for anybody that wants to go and check them out. So the scene prompt, how did you get on with the scene prompt Wrote a scene, two hundred words exactly. Oh, well exactly, Ooh. extra extra points. <laughs> Ian, um, I, I wrote one. Yes. So that's 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 my first tick. Yeah, tick. Um, um, I got two actually. I wrote two, two. words. Well, yes, probably two <laughs> words. Yes, help me. Um, no, I, I've written one, which I'm, I brought with me, and I was trying to get this other idea to work because I had this idea of uh, ducks in a shooting gallery that go along, you know, at a fair, but one of them, his mechanism was broken, so it would never go down. So all he basically was, was at the end, he was constantly being shot at. And it's just this it's sad... A metaphor for how you feel in life. Probably, yes. It's drawing, certainly drawing the, these podcasts. <laughs> the, um, <laughs> the, uh, this duck would constantly go along and everybody else would disappear and he'd be left there just getting constant blows to the side of his head. And I, thought, bleak, and I thought, and I thought, well, you wait till you see what I've written for the other one. I'm, ex- I'm terribly excited. <laughs> uh, I won't be excited, but bleak is probably a good good way of describing it. But that's what I had. I had this idea of this poor duck being battered, battered like a very bad boxer, oh. uh, and I, I just could not get the structure right. So, but so I loved it. I did actually love the the the, the pump. Yeah, I liked it. Um, so, for those of you who don't know what the prompt was our guests our lovely guests and dave have had a week to work on on this particular prompt which was for some reason the ducks weren't happy today was that the prompt that was the prompt oh no <laughs> have you done the wrong prompt no I'm sorry, I was joking. <laughs> so that will now make sense of why dave was doing a weird monologue about battering ducks um for anybody at home wondering what's got into him yeah. today so dave yes let's break the ice with you oh am i going first let's hear let's hear your bit of um okay i better find it now oh for god's sake it's not even ready uh it is ready there we go right i'm right. gonna put my glasses on though jenny said people never say what they mean they talk in code and hide their truths to be honest i wasn't paying much that much attention but i heard enough to say in reply yeah but not you and me We always say what we mean. If I'm hungry, I say I'm hungry. If I'm horny, if I want to watch football, I say that's what I want to do. It made her smile. She has this delightful, warm, deep smile. I said, come here, woman, and hugged her tight and kissed her and said, it's one of the reasons I love you so much. So when, a few days later, she told me for some reason the ducks weren't happy today, I took it at face value that no one had yet taken them bread, or the heron that comes through every few days had been stalking the young. Anyway, I now take the ducks some bread every morning on my way to work. It's a little bit out of my way, but it helps me remember her, 
because two days after Jenny told me the ducks weren't happy, I found her hanging in the garage. I still don't know why. Oh my God, oh my heart! I've got goosebumps all over me. Even my knees. Told you it went bleak. <laughs> I don't know what to say. I thought that was fantastic. It was. Thank you very much. It was That's, fantastic. Uh, it's a tough act to follow, isn't it, lads? Yeah, it makes mine seem a bit more upbeat than I was expecting. <laughs> 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 well, we need to go up from that. <laughs> uh, how long did it take you to write? That one, probably about half an hour. Did Just... it come straight away? Did you know what was going um, on? It took me about four days, five days to try and work out what it was, to try and think, get to that point. And then walking the dog. All these seems to come out of walking the dog, it feels like at the moment. But walking the dog, I saw some ducks and I just it just started me. Something went from there. Yeah. So. And how did you two approach this? Well, to be perfectly honest, I didn't do it until yesterday. That's but, completely um, fine opened it up yesterday and I looked at the phrase and I had a couple of ideas which went absolutely nowhere. So I did a couple of missed starts. Mm. And then then I found a, a beginning that I liked and just let it go and ended up with about three and a, th- 350 words. And then in the process of cutting it down, it found a shape. But I mean... I, I don't think it stands up to Dave's. Let's, let's hear it. Let's hear it. Mm. Okay. Well. He's outside, gazing. I go up gently, wait until he turns. He smiles, then frowns. For some reason, he says. Hesitates. What, love? The ducks, he says. They're not happy. For some reason. He searches my face for something. Signs of understanding, disapproval, agreement. Today, he offers. Not happy today. Don't know why. Yesterday it was the cows. He looks away. Parched earth stretches as far as we can see. There's been no duck nor cow, nor human but ourselves on this land for years. But why say that? The story keeps him going. I can't pretend it's likely to be long. Light's fading. Dark comes early now. Come in, Grandpa, I coax. The ducks are okay. You won't forget the pigs. He shuffles to the door and reaches for the light switch. It hasn't worked since I was 17. Bulb's gone, he says vaguely for the hundred thousandth time. Ladling porridge from the pot over the fire, I hear his voice quaver... It's because of the ducks, isn't it? I turn. His body's empty. Fragile as eggshell. Dust. And just like that, it's all gone. Ducks, cows, pigs and him. I'm on my own. No story left to tell. Ooh. We need to put out a warning, I think. <laughs> To, to people that listen listening to tissues. this may bring them down in terms of their mood. But I, you know, there's some there's some seriously beautiful. It's so poetic your writing, and you know that real sense of place again. You know, I could I could see it all, and for some reason it it, it felt like it was in in America in a kind of uh, yeah. Am I, is that is that, that right? That was. Um, I mean, that was the farmland. image in my head. Yeah, yeah. me too. Sorry, I find I find the whole question of well, I read I heard that to be dementia. Yes, uh, and I find the whole aspect of that. I don't know, maybe because I'm, you know, I'm guessing a bit older than everybody else in this in the room. But it's it, I'm finding the whole question of that whole thing being very difficult mm-hmm. to just that thought process of that no longer connects, if you like, as it should do in your brain. And yeah, and that, that wonderful, loved it, loved it. Although. I want to cry again now. Well, Ian is going to save the day, yes. aren't you, Ian? I don't know about that. Do you uh, write flash fiction or read it even? Well, it's a bit, I, don't, I don't know if this is flash fiction. I suppose it probably is. But yeah, this, this so. kind of length fiction? Not um, not unless somebody asks me to. I, it's usually me, isn't it? It's usually <laughs> me. Uh, I mean, for a long time I did Twitter prompts mm. and... Then I, when when I got really stuck into the novel, it started to feel like 
it was a an irrelevance almost mm. when I when I did those. It started to feel like I was taking time out and I needed to do this other thing. Yeah. So I got out of the habit. But those were tiny, like tweet length stories. Mm. Something even two hundred words long. I I'm not very good at finding the shape of a story in, in that many words. It's funny a tweet can seem easier somehow and a novel or a play. But something that length I think is it's just it's an art in itself. And I've never really quite got the hang of it. So though I I do read other people's, there are, there are some people on Twitter that I follow. Hannah Whiteoak is brilliant yes, at this kind is, of thing. That I just, I love reading them because you can read them so quickly and you get a real punch out of them quite often. Yeah. But I, I don't know how to deliver that punch. Well, I think, I you've, I think you've, yeah. It's I've definitely a, a skill. It's a kind of like a muscle memory thing, isn't it? I think yeah. you can get into the flow of writing the tweet things. I know we did lots right. of them in yes. lockdown, didn't we? Yes. And, and you tune in, but it's quite, I find it quite a good antidote to writing a novel, having to do those kind of little bits of flash, yeah. because it's so lovely not to have to tie up all the bloody strands. But yeah, I totally agree. Like finding that arc, that shape within a smaller word count. Right. Come on then, Ian. Okay. Um, so I, I wrote this, uh, I wrote a couple of, two or three sentences on my phone quite quickly after you sent me the prompts. I just wrote the first thing that came into my head. Okay. Um, and left it for a week and then just did the rest of it in about 20 minutes last night. <laughs> and did you find yourself kind of returning to the idea of it over the course of the week? A little bit, just because I was aware that I was going to have to do it. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and I thought that it would be completely different. I basically realised that the three sentences that I quickly typed to my phone all rhymed. And I, and I thought, well, that's, oh. that's quite funny. Just in, in a sense that it was just silly that that had happened. Um, and I thought I'll probably change that. And then when it came to it, I thought, oh, I'll just, let's just go with it. Oh, good. Um, I'm looking forward of, to this. Bit of rhyme. So this is all, it, it's kind of all dialogue and it's, it's kind of, it's called second date. Oh, I love a title. I got a title, everything. And I'm, I'm really good at titles because you don't have to, you know, you don't necessarily have to write the rest. Um, <laughs> and it's kind of uh, that that sense where you've just met somebody and then you think things are okay, then you realise something happens, you think they might be a psychopath. Right. Oh yeah, we've all been there. Yes. And uh, and I suppose it's also the uh, living in a in a post truth world, but it's mainly just silly. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And I've read this a few times and I've done it differently every time because it's just all dialogue. So let's see how it goes. Shall I give them some bread? Give them some bread. You can't give them bread. If you give them bread, they will die and be dead. Dead. Dead from eating the bread. The ducks. Ducks. They love eating bread. If I didn't bring bread, they wouldn't get fed. Wait one second. Do you always bring bread? It's like I just said. If I didn't bring bread, they wouldn't get fed. So who told you that? That bread makes ducks dead. Well, somebody told me, my dad's friend, Fred. <laughs> and I did a quick search and the internet said, the internet said, hold on, if they can't eat bread because the internet said, then what in the hell should I give them instead? Seeds. 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 Seriously, seeds. Seriously, seeds. Not bread. Seeds. Seeds. But I've only got bread. <laughs> like... A full loaf of bread. And there's more in the freezer I keep in the shed. The shed. A freezer. More loaves of bread. Look, if you've got a problem, just go on ahead. I'm staying here. They're eating my bread. The ducks do not care what the internet said. Oh, fantastic. Absolutely charming. Now I'm crying. <laughs> it's very upsetting, I know, isn't it? This is the one that made me cry. Oh, lovely. Very silly. Um, have you got a freezer in your shed, Ian? Is there something you no, want to tell No, but us? That, that is, I don't know if, if that was a thing in everybody's childhood, but my grandparents had a freezer, like a big, like, yeah. uh, like a big chest freezer. What was in, in the, it, Ian? In Bread. Uh, <laughs> I mean, yeah, there was bread, bread, but there were no bread. The bread. It wasn't just bread, but they, you would definitely have like a, a a loaf of frozen bread. There was no just like, oh, we're out of bread. Well, we'll just pop to the shop. It said, don't worry, we've got at least three loaves in there for no reason, <laughs> or for this reason, I just in case. Just in case. Yeah. I wonder how many people bought freezers to put in the shed during at the beginning of lockdown. Did you do that, Dave? 
Um, You're looking a bit sheepish. I'm looking there. sheepish at this moment in time is because not long before lockdown, my partner and I, we, we, we started to live together and we combined our houses, obviously, and we found that we had an awful lot of... Sheds. No, no, actually, no sheds. That was the thing, no sheds. But an awful lot of refrigeration options, if I can put it that way. Maybe just... we should start auctioning them off as, as prizes. But that's a great... I could bring one every single no, every don't episode. Bring don't, don't, don't bring one. Oh, okay. <laughs> we'll just take a picture. Oh, okay. We'll tweet it. You could win this prize. The prize is a picture of my fridge. Yeah. It's not much of a prize. I mean, it's better than any prize that we've got today in reality, but I mean, to me. You know what I mean, don't As you? Joanna mm. doesn't want an old fridge. I, I have she? a fridge. Would I've you like got... another one? I don't think I They I've like got... to have company. <laughs> um, right. So we are going to do the three minute prompt now. Um, so for those of you who are playing along at home, um, get ready, set your timer. Um, and as soon as you hear the prompt, just pause the podcast and do it for three minutes and then come back. Okay. So that's, that's a little message for those of you at home who are playing along. Okay. So your three minute prompt, everybody, I want you to use these three objects in a story or a piece, a canary, a laptop, a blanket, a canary, a laptop, a blanket. And your time starts now. Okay, you've got one minute left to smother your canary in a blanket and take a picture of it on your laptop. <laughs> How did you guess what I was writing? Sorry, Dave. <laughs> Pens down, please, boys. Dave. Oh, I don't can't just write dot, dot, dot. <laughs> I know what I was going to say. Can I, can I not just finish it off? I'm going to finish it off. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to be... I'm, I'm a maverick today. I'm a rebel. I don't know what's got into you. Docking ten points for this. Yeah. I'm already started. He's already on minus points. Yeah. For, for being... Shooting all those ducks earlier. Right, how was that? On a scale of one to ten, how stressed are we? I mean, stress-wise, it's eight or nine. Okay. <laughs> You're hiding it very well. <laughs> I'm good at that. I'm not so good at writing in three minutes, but, uh, you know, maybe maybe it's a good idea. I think time limits are quite a good idea. Do you? Maybe not three minutes, but if you just give yourself 25 minutes and say, right, I've only got 25 minutes, let's just see what happens. I find you know? it extremely effective. Yeah, because you 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 know it's finite, and mm. you're like, okay, go go go. Yeah, right. Let's I start with you this I time. Talk to myself into going first there. Uh, title? Has it got one? Um, I know you love them. I I have not titled this. That's a shame, isn't it? After everything I said before, <laughs> let's call it work. Work. Just work. I like it. Or the exam. Yeah. Either of those are fine. <laughs> work and exams are two different things, but don't read too much into that. The bird needs to sleep. It's nearly falling off its perch. But I need to work, and I can't do that without her. Carol walks in. She looks at the clock. She looks at the bird. Canary needs to sleep, she says. Cover her up. I know that she's right. So I close my laptop, walk slowly across the room, cover the cage with the blanket. I cross my fingers. I go to bed. Lovely. Mysterious. Like Indeed. I've got, I've got no, there's no extra. That's just, uh, that's, like, build the world around that if you want. Like, I don't know what the hell's going on. What I, always, what I always love about when we do these this part of the show is, like, people write something like that and you sit there and you go, why? And I, and you suddenly want to know all the other yeah. bits yeah. that who's, go with yeah. it. Who's Carol? Yeah. What's what's the work? Yeah. Um, why why does I, he need the bird for the work? Yes. Why does he need yeah. the deep? It's yeah. deep, Ian. It doesn't need to. It mean it could be deep, but that's isn't that isn't that the idea of stories? Is to just sort of leave enough for people to like you right. know, cling on to other stuff. I mean, not that I particularly thought about you know consciously like hmm, what can I do to get people thinking what goes around <laughs> this story. But yeah, like the, like all characters should have one weird thing. That's what I think. That's yeah. what a character is like. What's the weird thing? Do you think that's because every person has a weird thing? I think so, don't we? We all. And, and What's even your if weird thing? <laughs> yeah, I knew that was good. <laughs> um, I don't know what my weird thing is, but uh, yeah, the idea that there is there has to be something interesting beyond the thing in the story, and you don't need to explain it. it sounds interesting. Well, where I was going, because and it doesn't probably come across because it's a podcast. Was when when people read something like that, and we all sit here and go, "Ooh, why?" And all that, and suddenly we, people ask questions of the person who's written it, 
why does it need this or why does it that? And you see the face, which you can't see, the listeners can't see, but we can. Do you see the face of the person who's written it? Basically panic. (laughs) (laughs) And that's exactly what Ian's face was like. I don't know. (laughs) Well, it's a plot bunny. If it's going to go anywhere, you know, you have to follow it. And that takes time. You can't really do it in three minutes. I love that expression, plot bunny. That's Sonic bomber and a plot bunny. Right, come on then, Lady H. All right, well, this (laughs) this isn't deep. Never mind monkeys. Give a canary a laptop and a week or two, and he will join Twitter and become a rising star in the writing world. I know this because my little Blanky, we called him Blanket when he was tiny because he looked like a tuft of wool. Blanky has taken over my life. My novel is on hold. Blanky holds press conferences on my Zoom. I provide refreshments for him, set up interviews, and go home to my cage. I like that. Good. I like It's quirky. It's offbeat. Yeah. It's great. And also that link between the canary being on Twitter is funny. Because some of the accounts I've seen on Twitter probably have been written by a canary. It's so. quite possible. I mean, they are tweets. Oh. Yeah. So They're you did tweets. That. Oh. Can you dock a points for that? No, that's why I liked it. The okay. idea of a canary tweeting. <laughs> okay. I only got it I'm then. I'm going to dock points off time. you for being so, so aggressive, Dave. Oh, no. <laughs> More points. Mm-hmm. You really are in the minus territory. Oh, well, in the minus territory next. Right then. Is it me? Yep. Okay, this one is called Kill the Canary, which I think is a great name for a punk band. But Honestly, that's story. this whole episode has been about maiming animals, ducks, ducks, <laughs> birds. I don't, know what, against birds. I don't know what's in my head at the moment. Anyways, kill the canary with the blanket. That's what the advice said on the internet. Kill the canary with the blanket. <laughs> Sounds simple enough. Just have to catch the bloody thing first. What you doing? Shouted my neighbour as she peered in through the window. I'm trying to catch a canary. With a blanket? That's what the internet advised. I catch it under the blanket and then smother it. Why can't you catch it in the blanket and then release it? Sod that, I whispered under my breath. I'm going to catch this canary and then smothering it. Sod that too. The canary was caught. Now for the record... I've always fancied my neighbour, but I don't think she's going to fancy me now that she's seen me smash the canary with the laptop. <laughs> Sorry. It's hard-hitting stuff. What's this. the canary done? I don't, I don't care. Tweeted. I've now got that panic face that I've just said everybody else has when yeah. you ask the questions. I don't know. I just like the, the, the sound of kill the canary. I just thought that sounded nice. You thought that sounded nice? <laughs> well, it had a certain rhythm to it. Can we move on? Yes. <laughs> Okay, so the grand finale, everyone. Now that your creative juices are flowing in full force, apart from you, Dave. Um, so, for those of you at home, you know the drill. When I give you the prompt, just pause for one minute and then come back. And remember to send us anything that you've come up with on your own terms. Okay, so everybody, your one minute prompt starting. Oh, when I've read it, is <laughs> Santa Claus has many disguises. Go. And breathe. Ian, mm. do you want to explain that face to me? Oh, it's disastrous. <laughs> <laughs> I well, did see all, you. We're all in it together. Pencil it poised. Right. If I had my time again, oh yeah, and I don't want it, <laughs> then I would have just written the first thing that came into my head. Which I made the—I uh, I don't even remember—but oh. I made the mistake of going, no, maybe another direction. And, <laughs> yeah. and before you know it, you're 15 seconds yeah. in. That—that right. that is it. Okay, so we've all learnt something today. Just Go hit the ground it. running. Splurge, uh, Lady H. We'll start with you because we haven't started with you first. Okay, then. (laughs) I did go with the first thing I thought of because I knew I didn't have time to do anything else and I still came up with, like... Anyway. He looks like an icicle. We pull it down, careful not to shatter it. Leave it in the bathtub overnight. In the morning, there's a shining fish. It's magical. It's Christmassy. It's slightly silky-ish. Yes. It's a a little flash of that magical realism coming in. Transformations. Yeah. You see, What's we, not to like? This reminds me an awful lot of a previous episode where David Oakley was on and he came to the, the one minute and you both seem to have gone completely, you know, you've got this title and you've disappeared off 
and come back with something immensely beautiful. Uh, and beautiful. without needing really to need the title itself well, of the prompt. Yeah. And, and that, I find, is um, is an absolute, one, it's a delight, and two, it shows the, the process of the whole, your brain jumped, I think. I think it, my brain had to jump because the the problem with having an actual character in a prompt, like Santa Claus, is that there's so much attached. baggage attached yes. to that. Yeah. yeah. Love but yeah, that I mean that that was that was I just avoided the prompt basically. Well, yeah, and that's that's <laughs> fine. If you know, all it's supposed to be is some kind of catalyst for something. So if you have a reaction of like, oh, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do this. It's still, yeah. it's still creating a response. True. And I love and and there's no right or wrong in, in all of this. But the the the, the jump I thought was it, when you can follow that jump. I think it's a magnificent. It's a magnificent talent and magnificent skill, and what you come out with something that actually goes, it makes people look. I wish people could see my face now. Probably not the best of ideas, but if people could see my face because it's I don't know, my head's tilted and go, ooh. Um, <laughs> Ian, let's let's hear let's hear from you. Okay, bearing in mind I did this in thirty seconds, not a minute. And yes, I, I don't deserve <laughs> points for that. Um, that's not Santa. Santa has a white beard. That one's got a black beard and glasses and a cigarette. <laughs> so it's black beard, blue beard. Well, it's just beard. not. It's just like there, there are lots of Santas, aren't there? Yes. Well, you see, now I'm already it's thinking. Very literal. You know, from that thinking, who is this imposter pretending to be Father I Christmas? I thought that too. No. I thought that too, and I thought it was very yeah, sinister. I did too. Tick yes. VG in. <laughs> Pardon. Tick VG. Tick. Okay. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> uh, yes. I mean, Santa does have glasses, I think. That was one in most representations. So maybe I would change that to like a tattoo or something. But um, I thought I would read it as I wrote it. Yeah. You see, you've got the makings of a character, a man who pretends to be Father Christmas. You could could be Santa, couldn't you, Dave? With my big big bushy beard, yes. You've got glasses. Oh, my God. Are you the man in Ian's story? Silence speaks volumes. Okay, (laughs) let's hear hear your story, please, Dave. Uh, Santa Claus has many uh, disguises. My dad was one of them. Every December the 26th, he'd remove the beard and go about his life for a further 365-ish, however many days, before assuming the beard again, and away he flew. Pissed me off he was never there on Christmas Day. (laughs) I love it, Dave. That's brilliant, actually. Oh, that is brilliant. Thank you. We're all surprised. (laughs) Including myself. I'm so glad we're recording this because I've actually got praise for letting you. I do praise you when you you deserve it, which is rare. Yeah, I think that's absolutely charming, Dave. Thank you. Really nice. There you go. Okay, so we have come to the end of today's Property Prompt. Thank you both so much for sharing your time and your words with us. Thank you for having us. You are very, very welcome. If, for those of you listening at home, um, we will put all of the contact details for both of our wonderful guests in the show notes uh, so that you can follow them on Twitter. I know they're both, well, big on Twitter. That's your preferred social media, isn't it? So, uh, Le- Joanna, right. you're at? At flying underscore trunk underscore. And because Ian. apparently lots of people like to be flying trunk. It's unusual, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, Ian? Uh, it's just Ian Broom, but mostly because of my silly spelling. So it's I-A-I-N-B-R-O-O-M-E. And the same website, www.ianbroom.com. Yep, that's it. And that's where you can sign up to draft mode. Yep, all there. I won't mention your Twitter name. Okay, everybody. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I might actually, come on. Well, no, we're What's gonna... your Twitter handle, Dave? I can't remember. The only, the only important Twitter handle at this moment in time is at Pompity Prompt. Yeah. Because, you know, you'll know all weird, wonderful things about the show, future episodes, future guests, past guests, these two guests. I'm saying guests a Right, lot. I'm finishing. We're finishing there. Thank you for listening. See you next time. Bye. 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 <laughs> you've been playing along at home today would love to see your responses to any of the prompts and if you're a writer and would like to be on the show please send us an email at promptyprompt at gmail.com you can follow us on twitter or instagram at promptyprompt or head to our website which is www.promptyprompt.com 
If you'd like more information on today's guests or a recap of the prompts, head to the show notes where you'll find everything you need to know. Finally, if you've enjoyed Prompty Prompt, and we really hope you have, please share the shit out of it. Tell your chums and tell your mums. And if you could give us a five-star rating so new listeners can find us more easily, that would be amazing.